Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast, Episode 1081B on Radio MD, iHeart, or wherever you download us from. Thanks very much for doing that. We have a very special guest today, special because he's a great friend in addition to being a great doc. Uh, Marwan Sabah is a professor of neurology at, um, and I'm going to let you get, let him tell you more, but he's at the Barrow Neurologic Institute in Arizona and has been a substantial researcher and um, integrative, what I would call integral to the development and forwarding of research into the mechanism of Alzheimer's disease and its treatment. Um, He's author of the prior book, Alzheimer's Answer, but has written what I think is a really great book with um, Joseph Piscatella called Strong Heart, Sharp Mind. Strong Heart, Sharp Mind. Um, Marwan, thanks very much for coming on and for also writing uh, this book. I should tell our audience that I have a a bias since um, I am, uh, I helped write the forward, or I did write the forward to the book. And it really is um, an amazing thing. Um, and, and what you really show, as I understand it, is that the same things that are good for your heart are good for your brain. Is that right? That's right. And so thank you for having me on your podcast, Mike. Uh, and hello to my colleagues in the audience. Uh, so you need to know that uh, people never really have given much thought about the concept of connecting the heart and the brain. And that, uh, but when we did a deep dive with a strong advocate, Joe Piscatello being a heart health uh, advocate, who approached me with the idea that we should do something that would connect the heart health and the brain health. And uh, because it turns out that there's a mechanistic overlap, not just a circulation issue. So, you know, people just logically assume that the brain and the heart are are overlapping because of uh, circulation. But it turns out there's much more to it than that. And this is kind of the deep dive that you get a two for one, right? If you really focus on making your heart health better, you're going to get your brain health improved in the process. Now, talk to us about the genetics we're always told that there's a special gene that's related to your brain. How does that influence your heart as well, and what does it do for your brain? So this is a critical, this is a critical observation. Uh, there is a genetic uh, genotype called the apolipoprotein E genotype. Apolipoproteins are the uh, proteins in the, in, in the circulation that carry fat and cholesterol throughout the body. And there are many subtypes, ApoA, ApoB, ApoJ, etc. So ApoE4 carriers of the, the, meaning they had the ApoE4 allele, have been known for a long, long time to have heart disease as a risk factor. But it was in 1993 or so, it was found that not only was that a significant risk factor for heart disease, but it has uh, is a significant risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. And over the last almost 30 years, that, that observation has held up very, very consistently and in a, not in a good way either. Uh, so we know that if you're a double 
carrier, meaning APOE4, from both parents, your lifetime risk of developing Alzheimer's disease is somewhere in the 91% category. And if you are, uh, uh, and if you're heterozygous, meaning single copy, you have a three to four times risk of developing Alzheimer's disease in your lifetime. And we don't. We also know that there's a very strong. What, what is what is that? What does that mean? In other words, if you're ninety, if you live to ninety, what's the risk of developing uh, Alzheimer's disease if you have one E4 and one E3? So, at uh, ninety years old. Uh, the statistical probability of having Alzheimer's just on the basis of age is 40% or, or for, yeah, 40%. And uh, uh, with an APOE, that would double it. Uh, so you'd be at 80% probability by age 90. Wow, that's pretty darn high. It is high. Um, yes. That's almost as high as having a double, which is 90%, I guess. In your um, lifetime so, risk, yes. Yeah. Um, now... Um, and what does it do to heart? Does it have any effect on the heart? Uh, so we know that uh, APOE4 carriers tend to have early onset atherogenesis, uh, and that has been looked at uh, going back some period of time. Uh, I don't know if it's directly mechanistically related to, to uh, thrombosis, but there is a, uh, we do know that APOE uh, is an atherogenic uh, type of uh, risk. So it, 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 in fact, creates a protein, I think you, you have in the book, that, that helps bind or helps the um, LDL get oxidized and bind to the wall of the arteries to a greater degree. So it, um, whether it binds to neurons or binds to, uh, um, if you will, the uh, arteries, I guess it's part of the same process. So that's even a, a stronger thing than most people think, that, that the brain and heart have a genetic uh, link as well. But the interesting thing is that uh, the, uh, you would think the atherogenesis would mean that people are more prone to have uh, vascular strokes and vascular dementia. But in fact, it's, uh, it also mechanistically seems to promote either overproduction of amyloid, which leads to Alzheimer changes, but the more likely thing is it's likely to promote underclearance of amyloid. Uh, and so we know that people who are an APOE4 carrier have more Alzheimer pathology in their brain than non-E4 carriers in terms of density of Alzheimer pathology. And so uh, it looks like APOE uh, exerts its effects in multiple different ways. Um, and... Um Let's go into some other things. We know that exercise is good for the heart. Is it good for the brain too? Yeah, there's clear evidence that uh, people who exercise improve cognition. You know, it's so funny when I start working on a book like this, and you and I have had conversations over the years. Uh, I hated running, but I have to tell you, I took up running because uh, it is clearly pro-cognitive and it's good for the brain. Uh, um, we know that, uh, you know, in mild cognitive impairment or prodromal dementia, there is clear evidence that you can get a, a better effect from exercise, physical exertion, physical exertion than you can from taking a pill like Aricept or Denepazil. So we know, and it's a consistent effect. It's been looked at from people going from sedentary to active and active to very active. So uh, that is, uh, the benefits are, are 
have been repeatedly demonstrated. Um, we're talking to Dr. Marwan Sabah, a professor of neurology um, in Phoenix, Arizona, um, and the author of Strong Heart, Sharp Mind, as well as author of The Alzheimer's Answer. He combined for this book with Joseph Piscatella, best-selling author of Prevent, Halt, and Reverse Heart Disease. Um, the Talk to us a little bit about, um, we've known for a long while that a plant-based diet is good for the heart. Is that also good for the brain? It's a, in theory, the answer is yes. Um, and it's only now being investigated. Uh, it, there is, I mean, we have epidemiological data suggesting that heavily plant-based diets kind of tip a nod to the Mediterranean diet tend to have a lower risk of developing it. But the actual study of a plant, whole food plant-based diet is only being looked at now in an objective clinical trial, despite the fact that we've discussed these things for long periods of time. And what about sugar? We know that sugar is bad for the heart. Is that bad for the brain too? 100%. Uh, so we know that type 2 diabetes is a risk factor for the development of Alzheimer's disease. In fact, uh, a pathologist in Rhode Island, Susan Delamonte, coined the term type 3 diabetes where you have insulin resistance in the brain of patients with Alzheimer's even if they don't have systemic insulin resistance. So we know that if you can reduce your risk of developing type 2 diabetes, you're doing a definite beneficial effect uh, that the risk from a diabetic developing Alzheimer's disease is uh, an odds ratio of 1.8 or 80% higher risk of developing Alzheimer's dementia in their lifetime. Uh, our group, though, interestingly, just published a paper two weeks ago suggesting that if you look at the brain, though, they don't have more plaques and tangles. Diabetics don't have more plaques and tangles compared to non-diabetics. So we know it's a risk factor for developing it, but doesn't seem to have adverse effects on the pathology. Um, and what about concussions in youth? We've heard a lot about football players and um, soccer players developing dementia. Is, does this, is this the same type of dementia and uh, or is it very different type? Yes, so this is an area that's really taking off in terms of uh, investigation and research and focus. Um, we uh, know that repeated and concussive type injuries uh, do have negative effects on cognition and the brain function. Uh, and we used to think they were overlap syndromes, but the data suggests that they're separate uh, now. Uh, we used to call it uh, uh, TBI, and then it was called CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and now has a new term, TES, which is traumatic encephalopathy syndrome. Uh, we know that the uh, pathology is a little different, uh, and this is where I think the things are starting to change. So, uh, whereas you would think from TES and CTE are just kind of accelerated forms of Alzheimer pathology, they tend to be much more focused on the development of the tangles and tau and much less on the amyloid. So, uh, whereas in Alzheimer's disease, you get both plaques and tangles, meaning uh, amyloid and tau, in CTE and TES, you tend to develop more tau and almost no plaques uh, or amyloid. So, it, it is because tangles and tau 
are themselves responses to injuries. So some kind of shearing injury or other injuries that occur with a, a acute head trauma tend to trigger the production of the protein tangles and tau. And now the book has a six-part uh, plan that reverses heart disease and helps prevent Alzheimer's. If you're going to say, let's do those six things, which would you start with? So the first thing I would do, Mike, is I would start with health conditions. I would optimize health conditions. So it turns out that one of the best things we can do is optimize our blood pressure. Uh, hypertension, as you have reported and commented on very extensively over the years, is one of the most uh, uh, biggest risks of morbidity and mortality after obesity. So blood pressure management turns out to have clear and consistent signal for reducing risk of developing Alzheimer's. And of course, we know that that's been one of the stalwart treatments for heart disease. A second thing that would be on the list would be uh, uh, physical exercise. And that means not just walking your dog that smells every bush along the way where you get a little stroll. I'm talking about real stepping up, measuring it out, doing it with purpose, and, and increasing your pulse. Uh, third thing I would emphasize is I would really, really emphasize sleep. I think people really underestimate. And, I, you know, I've been speaking at your conference and attended your conference over the years, and I know that this is something, this is the secret sauce that you have talked about over and over over the years in your, in your uh, conferences. And, you know, I take it to heart very carefully, and, and clearly that's the other thing I would tell you is that people need to be very good about their sleep hygiene and consistency. There's now growing evidence, of course, that, you know, poor sleep and sleep apnea trigger heart attacks, but there's now, uh, you know, sleep apnea is a very huge adverse effects on cognition. And we know that you remove amyloid out of your brain by good quality sleep. So it actually, one of the best ways you can prevent your Alzheimer's is to get good quality sleep. So that would be number three on the list. Number four on the list would be um, things like uh, Reduce your stress level. So we know that chronic uh, stress causes elevation of cortisol, which is uh, which disrupts sleeps and affects your adrenal glands and affects blood pressure and affects a lot of other things. So I would manage yourself, mindfulness, meditation, things like that. You know, I'm 56 years old, Mike, and I started to really kind of tune into these things and be much more uh, focused on trying to uh, manage stress in my life because I just, you know, we physicians just, take it for granted and keep doing that all the time, but it has long-term effects on, on cognition and heart health as well. And then there are other things, but those would be the main main features. Well, you gave us uh, four of the six. I don't want you to give away the whole book. It's called Strong Heart, Sharp Mind, a six-step program that reverses heart disease and helps prevent Alzheimer's. Um, let me go and ask one more or two more um, way out questions in the remaining uh, negative one minute of this interview, if you will. And that is, we've now seen data that Viagra and coffee both block binding and binding of amyloid to neurons as effectively, in fact, three times more effectively than a recent expensive drug that the FDA approved um, that I think was a Biogen drug. Um, what's the, how, how much faith do you put in 
um, the people who use Viagra or coffee in their ability to have the same benefits as uh, that drug does? So uh, they're completely, uh, uh, completely different. I mean, aducanumab is trying to remove amyloid out of the brain, but uh, Viagra is a PDE inhibitor, and there is some mechanistic overlap between PDE inhibitors uh, and uh, vasculature and improving circulation, uh, and may have other secondary mechanisms. Right now, that's a statistical association, but it's not been proven in any kind of substantive way. Uh, coffee, on the other hand, actually has very good data, and there's now long, multiple population evidence-based epidemiological studies suggesting that heavy coffee drinkers have much less Alzheimer's. This has been shown in France in the, tri- in the three-city study uh, and other studies. In fact, the company Illy was started to invest in Alzheimer's research because the data was so good uh, that they uh, realized that coffee, because coffee turns out, as you know, and you've spoken at length is a very potent antioxidant, but that's before we uh, bastardize it with all the sugars and the creams and et cetera, et cetera. So coffee itself by itself is a purely good antioxidant with the flavonoids, and that's why I, I think it's a good idea. But the, the Viagra, I think that's an interesting uh, observation for now, but needs to be proven down the road. So I should keep drinking my coffee and not... Um, start Viagra as of now. <laughs> I, I would tell you that as you use it, use it recreationally. I would not necessarily take it to, with a pro uh, anti Alzheimer effect quite yet. We may get there one day, but not yet. We've been talking to Marwan Sabah, co-author and lead author of the book Strong Heart, Sharp Mind. Um, you can find out more about it on uh, a, a website, I imagine, humanxbooks.com, H-U-M-A-N-I-X books.com. And, of course, you can get it through Amazon. It is a wonderful book. I'm prejudiced um, because Marwan is so good. And uh, we look forward to having you back, Marwan. Thanks again. Thank you. We'll be back Thank you. next week.